Hey kids, it's your old pal ML Elric back with another episode of ML Soul of Detroit, but we are not joined by Mark Fellhauer. I am in the power chair. And on behalf of Mark, who wanted me to say this, but he wasn't man enough to be here, Jim Harbaugh is a lying bum. And Mark, I appreciate you leaving that message. I wish you had the courage to deliver it yourself because it is absolutely true. But um, but that's okay. What do you mean you're in, uh, in the power chair? You're always in the power chair. This is no. This is you're a white man. You're always is, in the power chair. What are you talking technically about? Technically known as the power chair in studio parlance. This is inside behind the scenes. Uh, okay stuff we are this is for our theater of the mind we're taking you behind the scenes so you can actually see and hear what it's like to be a part of one of america's leading news commentary podcasts you look a little different maybe it's just that it's the angle you're not in the same chair you're normally in so i'm seeing you from a different view a different vantage point as it were it might be healthy for you to see me you look a little more different vantage point yeah perhaps not so judgmental really i'm you look a little more handsome i'm just saying Still objectifying people. At least you're not talking about my calves, which are tragic. But we have a, a great show for you today. We are joined by, by that was Sean Windsor, by the way. I, I know you recognize those dulcet tones, uh, that distinctive cadence, that, um, that, that finely measured um, delivery. Uh, every syllable uh, pondered and A little pressed. bit too much. Yeah, no, 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 no. It's... it's I wouldn't say that you talk slow. I'd just say that by the time you speak, we wish you'd spent more time thinking about what you're going to say. But 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 you you get there. You know, the it's, curse of the South. That's. It's, I thought there's Marjorie Taylor Greene was the curse of the South. She wants another civil war. I heard. She does. She does. But we don't need to talk about her. Go, we should talk about our guests. Looking to go oh for two. Yes, we, we have a lot of guests today, and we are pleased to be joined in in studio by our friend and colleague Andrea Sahori, who covers. I mean, I was going to say crime in the metro area and, and issues like that, but but she's been covering crime in East Lansing, uh, doing some great work on the shootings, the, the fatal shootings at Michigan State University, and uh, and trying to help us understand why we have such a violent society and what we can do about it. It's a big job, but she's more than up to it. Uh, you may have seen her in the media before she came back to Detroit, because she was detained by the police while covering the Black Lives Matter movement um, out west. And uh, we'll talk to her a little bit about that, as well as what she saw in, in covering the, the Michigan State tragedy. But really, she's here to talk about one of the most astounding cases we've had in an area that is filled with astounding cases. Three guys were supposed to be at a rap show in southwest Detroit at L Club, disappeared, reappeared two weeks later in a rat-infested basement in Highland Park. Needless to say, they were not extant. They are no longer with us, and we are still trying to figure out what's going on with that. Andrew's going to talk to us about that. And in a little while, we'll be joined by Kaylee Neese, who is, of course, our NIL athlete from Michigan State, who wrote an outstanding opinion piece in the Detroit Free Press about what it was like to be in East Lansing, what it was like to consider going back to campus after the shooting that happened. Uh, frankly, she she was right near Berkey Hall 
And uh, if she had not had an exam that let out early, she may have walked right into the path of Anthony McRae, the uh, the killer who took three lives, changed five lives forever, and and five lives physically, but but thousands of lives, tens of thousands of lives, uh, will never quite be the same. So we'll talk to her, and if we have time, we may get into my trip to the Nut House. That is really the name of an establishment in Lansing where I saw the future of the Michigan Republican Party, and I will just say that the venue was aptly named. But, uh, but it, was, uh, it was an interesting weekend, to say the least. All of this is brought to you by Luke Nowacki, who can help you plan for your future, and David Hall, who can make your present a lot better with a great deal on a mortgage. We'll tell you more about them after we finally get to Andrea, who's been so kind to wait uh, I know she had a big volleyball game last night. She's an outstanding athlete and a great reporter and joins us with an amazing story. Andrea, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about this L Club gig that was uh, – I, one of these guys is uh, – it's kind of newsworthy in and of itself. He's a rapper from Oscoda, which is not what I consider to be a hotbed of dope rhymes, but maybe I just haven't been to the right places up north. They were coming to Southwest Detroit, but just never quite got here. Yeah, it was actually um, Lounge 31 on the east side um, oh, what, that they were what? supposed to go to, I think, uh, Gratia and Seven, Seven Mile. We don't have a normal research okay. team this <laughs> week. Yeah, we, uh, we had to lay off our intern because it's sniffing glue. Yeah, um, well, you know, at least two of them, reportedly there's three of them, but c- confirmed at least two of them um, had spent time in prison together. I know um, one of them, um, his, his, his rap alias is Marley Whoop. Um, his real name is Armani Kelly. He's the one from Moscota. He had just been paroled um, in July. And he was with B12 and Jugs. Yes. These, and these are great. I would have thought Armani would have been his performing name. You know, that's yeah. kind of a groovy name, but he was given name of Armani, but known as Marley Whoop. Yeah. Yeah. And he was really into he really wanted, you know, he was just released. He really wanted to get his name out there and um, have his music heard. Um, And then he was with two other people, Dante Wicker and Montoya Givens. Dante is from Melvindale and Montoya Givens is from Detroit. And so Wicker, known as B12 and um Armani, Kelly, they were set to perform, and it looked like it was like a birthday party based on flyers. Um, But the performance was canceled, and this was um, the evening of January 21st. And so that performance was canceled, and the fiancé of Armani Kelly told me that it was because of technical, like there was some technical failures, and then the owner of Lounge 31 confirmed that with me as well, I guess with the DJ set. So they're not sure if they were in the club physically, but, you know, the set was canceled and Armani's fiance said they were going to try to find like an open mic night. And then that's the last anyone ever had ever heard from them until nearly two weeks later when their bodies were found in an abandoned um, apartment building in, um, in, in Highland Park. Highland Park, yeah, right. Rat infested, you know, a lot of squatters there, um, according to police and... Yeah, like their self after that night, their cell phone activity had completely stopped. Their social media activity had completely stopped. And Armani Kelly, the car that Armani Kelly was driving, which according to his mother was her husband's, you know, he had borrowed it to drive to, you know, from Moscow to Detroit. 
it was found in Warren. And, and it was like moved a couple of times in Warren as well. So there was like three locations where this car was found. And then they apprehended someone, you know, suspected of playing a role in the vehicle's theft, basically. Um, not necessarily the missing person's case, but, you know, just the, the vehicle's theft. And yeah, so it's a pretty wild case. We still don't know why that car was in Warren or, you know, w- what really actually happened to them. Police, you know, if I had to guess, I think that they know. Um, and then they're probably just waiting for you know either like confessions or evidence to make their arrest. If that's just my guess, that's complete speculation so, so right there. But you uh, know, no arrests have been made. But it sounds to me, just based on kind of like underlining sentiment and and conversations, that I think that they know they have a they have a pretty good idea. But we will see. So originally, I thought I heard that they were supposed to f- perform at L Club. Was that was that just some early information that was not accurate? Because that's a long way from Seven and Gratiot, and and L Club is actually a great venue if anybody's ever been there, especially in the in the summer. I mean, they have an outdoor area that's just top notch. Seven and Gratiot, on the other hand, a little sketchier. Uh, it was pretty dangerous right way back when I used to take saxophone lessons there. There used to be a great new wave dance club there called Todd's. It was one of the first places that had a gay night and it was just, uh, it was like a fortress, flat black paint, you know, big, big dance floor and everything like that. But since then, that area's gotten a little rough and I'm assuming that this club that they were playing at would be more of like a social club than maybe a licensed liquor establishment that you would expect to go to, uh, that you'd see advertised in the Metro times or even, yeah. even in, in, uh, in the free press. Yeah. It, it's, it's definitely more of that social club esque. I think they have like hookah there that people can smoke and it's not like the, L- I love, I've been to the L club many times, um, in college and, and, and now that I live here, but, um, yeah, no, it, I I have not heard anything about the Ella Club, but I I don't think that that's correct. Police okay. have not mentioned that. Okay. I have not heard that from the mother of Armani Kelly, who I've interviewed, and the fiance. Um, they've all just mentioned Lounge Thirty One. Okay. Um, yeah, because I'm I'm not quite as old as Sean, but if you're playing at L Club, you're probably a band that has some sort of natu- national profile. You're an up and coming band but i've never heard of these guys before have, have, have you had a chance to listen to their music are they any yeah, good yeah i mean i think that's you know subject you know subjective i think that they really all just cared about their craft and um you know like i said when i spoke to armani kelly's family he had just been released from prison and he really just wanted to make a name for himself and he really did care and so i think the effort was put in there and um you know it's just unfortunate and do we know whether the the birthday gig they were going to play was for a friend or was this something where they were booked and people like, hey, guess who's playing at your party? It's like, okay, I guess we'll come out and see. Yeah, when I asked um, Armani Kelly's mom that, she doesn't, she didn't really know many, um, like of those specific details. She didn't know that she didn't know the people he was with, so um, she didn't know if that was their friends. But they were booked for that gig. I mean, it's likely that they could have. It could have been a friend of theirs, you know, how it goes. But did you know? she know B12 and Jugs? She told me no. Okay, yeah. so all she knows is my son just got out of the joint. He wants to be a rapper. He's got a gig in Detroit with these other two cats, or at least one of them is mm-hmm. is a performer. The other guy may have just been a buddy. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't know anything about them. She doesn't know anything about the venue. She doesn't know anything about the gig. And the next thing she knows, her son has disappeared with her husband's car. 
and that's it. Yeah, I mean, there's more. There's more. So you know, as she's like looking for her son, and her, you know, um, Lori Kemp is her name, Armani Kelly's mother. As she's like, you know, desperately looking for her son, going across state. You know, she's from Lansing. They're from Lansing, actually. So, you know, in their hometown of Lansing and Oscoda and Detroit and Warren, you know, putting up all these flyers. Um, even at like Grasha and Seven, you know, in Seven Mile area, and she had come to hear about this video that her son had posted on Facebook that had like some references, some su- very subtle, not explicit references to like the Bloods, and oh. um, I mean that can be interpreted many different ways. So I would really like to say that this is right. you know broader speculation on the internet but um and you know when you listen to the video they're talking about you know he's talking about conflicts he's had in prison and out of prison and and then he mentioned shooting and video games and it kind of being and then the people that is on the video with him they're kind of talking about like oh but I'm talking about real life shooting you know it's kind of like oh you real life like yeah I'm real life you know stuff like that where Gotta get their props. Be, yeah, it can de- it can kind of be construed as maybe you know th- there is some beef between these two people. Again, like this is all speculation. Police have said none nothing about this, but that's just kind of where the internet is flocking to. Um, is and 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 Lori and Lori and Lori Kemp, like her her the mother. So when I talked to her, when I interviewed her, it was the day before. I think the day before they found the bodies or maybe like two days before they found the bodies and she was like oh apparently my I didn't even know this but apparently my son was a um you know a gang member in prison and you know I don't judge him because he did what he had to do to survive but I didn't even know this again I don't think she knows for for certain I reached out to the MDOC and you know hadn't had confirmation of any of this. So just want to clarify, but it's just, I I say it not to try to spread rumors, but to really just emphasize like how crazy this case has gone in like many different directions, basically. Didn't, was she the mom that found the, or used OnStar, used the locating system that was in the car? Did she know that immediately? And did she then turn that information over to the police to? Yeah, Yeah. so when she reported her son missing, you know, at the time it was like it was hard for her because there was a lot of jurisdiction issues. Like her, she was last she last saw her son in Oscoda, so she had to report it missing in Oscoda. But the car is found in Warren. But then, you know, they right. went missing in Detroit. So for a few days, I mean, it, you know, Detroit police had their first press press conference. I think a week after she reported her son missing. So you know, it was a few days of, oh, this is not my jurisdiction, like, oh, you have to, you know, of kind of just trying to get them all aligned um, into this investigation to find these three men. And police themselves have said this is very irregular. This is not, this is very rare. Usually when adults go missing, they're alone and they're usually found safely. You know, I'm thinking people with mental illness kind of like start wandering, you know, and I see that a lot with press conferences. Um, But it's very rare for three men and alarming for three men to go missing together and not just just not been heard from since. And obviously, as we know, um, it's now a homicide case. So I think with the OnStar, if I remember correctly, you know, after they reported missing, I think she, I don't remember if she contacted OnStar or if OnStar contacted, contacted the police. I think maybe a little bit of both. Like maybe she contacted OnStar and then after that, 
you know, OnStar, like, notified police of, um, but I would have to, like, look in my notes, but I think it's, the, yeah, either way, like, that was just, That was an interesting, yeah, that was an interesting yeah. detail in your, in your reporting. Yeah. So, is it your sense that the person who stole the car uh, just found a car and said, hey, I'll, I'll make a buck out of this or I'll use it to do whatever I need to do, or that he may be somehow linked to their disappearance? Because, as you say, it's weird for people to disappear like that, but the way they were found and where they were found certainly makes it sound like they were uh, somebody somebody didn't like them, got them, dumped them, and maybe maybe as soon as that night or the night before. I mean, do, do we know how long they were dead? Not yet. Okay. Okay. No. You reported their bodies the were frozen, right? So yeah, it took a, it took like a little a day or two to even perform the autopsy um you know because yeah you gotta wait for things to thaw i mean Um, it it sounds it sounds kind of gross but i mean when a body freezes all that tissue you you don't want to cut that and you i mean so you know they were we know they died of gun with gunshot wounds right right? so i don't know if i mentioned that but yeah they did they were shot and killed so i would assume I mean, I would assume, that, you know, somebody didn't know. like them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody was pissed off. But yeah. do we know whether they were? It was execution style, or whether they were running, or you know, not yet. So the cops we're are keeping on, we're working pretty tight, yeah. or whether they were killed in the basement or dumped there. Yeah, or we're working all on these getting, questions. Yeah. We're, we're, yeah, we're working on getting those details. And you would assume there there's more than one perpetrator, right? For three guys, I mean. Yeah, unless it's Scarlet Mango, and even then, I think you only did one at a time. Right. But but this is this is one of those things where multiple jurisdictions. So you've got Highland Park. You, they went missing in Detroit. Car shows up in Warren. So who's in charge? And Highland Park. For folks who don't know this, and I, I learned this as the obituary writer for the Free Press way back when. At one time, was the poshest suburb in the entire state of Michigan. It was the Birmingham, the Gross Point, the Bloomfield Hills, you name it. Amazingly wealthy suburb. The elementary schools had beautiful swimming pools. I mean, it was it was riding high on all the money that Henry Ford brought in there when he built the Model T plant there. But obviously times have changed, and at different periods over the last 20 years, Highland Park has been so destitute that they didn't even have their own police department. And at various times, the sheriff's department have stepped in to uh, to provide police services. I think the state police have at times. Um, Highland Park's police department has had some, shall we say, rather challenged officers based on some reporting that our colleagues have done. Um, and now when you drop a body somewhere, Highland Park is kind of the place to dump a body because there's a lot of abandoned buildings the police department probably does not have the most sophisticated CSI operation you can imagine. And, um, and I just wonder, Oh, there's a question. Oh, I was waiting. I thought we'd provide some context to Sean. We, we weren't, we weren't all chilling in Austin, uh, serving up that Gordon's food service, corned beef hash. Or was that, no, that was in, where would you, where'd you serve the hash? I think the Fleetwood diner in Arbor. Fleetwood. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
but um, but so who's in charge of this investigation? I mean, is it Highland Park? Is it Detroit? Is it the state police? Because I think state police are on the scene, right? When you uh, when it's you state police, it's a, the homicide task force okay. between you know state police and Detroit Police Department. Um, it was the it was the Detroit Police Department who found the bodies. They were conducting the missing missing person search. Okay, I think that they were finally able to d- obtain like specific data from cell phone their cell phones that like brought them to that location. Um, and yeah, it was so it was Detroit police, and then like I said, homicide task force came along from MSP, and yeah, so that's the, been the point. The point people in the investigation has been Michigan State Police. And, and you, you, you think your reporter's instinct, your sixth sense, tells you that they might know who's responsible. Yeah, that's my instinct, but. Okay. Um, Nothing. There is no evidence out there to suggest that at this time, besides me knowing that they have updates, that they're not ready to publicly release. That's what I was told. And okay. so from when I hear that, I mean, OK, they're they're building their case. Right. Like sure. They know they they have strong inclination. They may have some suspects. But if you start saying that publicly, like that could jeopardize everything. Right. So that's when someone, when police tell me that that's kind of what I've garnered is like they they have some leads and they don't want to say anything publicly because um, that could jeopardize the investigation. So that's that's where my inkling comes from. So it's they, just they, them saying that they have no public update at this time. They could go on the lamb, Sean, which is a term for skedaddle as they could flee thank you for that could abscond i appreciate that okay i just wanted to anymore anymore no that's that's synonyms no i was going backwards in the thesaurus that's why i ended with abscond it's it's in the a's that brain out but um and and, oh sorry i just want to say on the on the because i had such a long convoluted question the uh the the guy who stole the car do they think or have they given any indication that that he may or may not know more than he's telling or is he just some jerk who stole a car and Well, he that. wasn't apprehended for stealing the car. Apparently, this is reportedly, like, he allegedly told p- police that he was, like, told to move the car. I don't know exactly more what he was And he was a teenager. You yeah, said juvenile in your yeah, report. He's a, yeah. yeah, he's a teenager. So, um, we don't know exactly what he else he told police, but that's there's been reports that suggest that he was just told to move the car and some someone else is telling him that right like you know this is i don't he the police are very careful like they've emphasized that he was not apprehended for uh the in the miss like in the specific like homicide case right he okay. was apprehended for the theft of the car so we'll see where this person's like involvement is when more information is released or it- dis- or un, you know or discovered on reporters end or whatever. It's, it's pretty intriguing that you can now track the car's whereabouts by a GPS or something. You can find people by their phones, but for two weeks, this car is bouncing around all over the east side, and these two guys are, you know, no trace of them until they're found in this basement. I, I know that you've just moved back to Michigan within the past year or so, so I hope this isn't isn't an unfair question, But but do you have a sense that there is a lot of, gang activity around here that there might be someone who would try and even a score to be taking orders from someone in prison or that that we have the bloods or the latin kings or the crips or i mean historical like context would say yes right um 
you know, what, there's still the trial ongoing for, what, the Seven Mile Bloods, right? You know, like, there's... Oh, Seven Mile Bloods. Yeah, I mean, Seven Mile. Yeah, so, you know, we know that, like, historically, there are gangs, and it's not just Detroit. I mean, Des Moines had... Sure. Clicks, I would say, but, you know, not necessarily full-fledged, but clicks. Um, And... And I just speaking to people who have um, who deal with gun violence and and violence prevention in general, they do talk about like, you know, gang violence. But it they also say it's not what it used to be. So I don't want to say there is not. Right. Not not like but, Young Boys Incorporated way back when, when crack was yeah. the scourge of. It's of just a little different now is the sense that I get okay. from talking to people in like crime prevention and it's a lot of young unfortunately sometimes a lot of young folk and some teenagers getting into some bad things but um yeah that's the sense I get so far um is that like yeah it's it's there but it's also not what it used to be okay what what's been the response to this reporting that you've done I think just a lot of people are like curious like what's going on um I know that Armani Kelly's mother, Lori Kemp, was really upset with police in the beginning of the investigation because, again, it took like a week, exactly a week, for Detroit police to hold a press conference. Um, Which could feel like an eternity, I would imagine. Yeah. You know, and then the chief, and then the next day, the chief also held an additional press conference. So, you know, she was pretty upset about that. And I think that. She, you know, the families were just grateful that it got, like, the media attention and that people were helping. And I know that, like, there were some GoFundMes that people were, you know, donating to. And, you know, yeah. I think people are just really curious and, you know, wanted to help. But this is unfortunate that it... We were talking before we started recording today about why some crimes get more coverage than others and why we pay more attention here as opposed to there. And... Do you think that because they were rappers, that um, they were just three guys that worked in a factory or a store or a bank or whatever, that um, it would have the same attention? You think that the, the rappers adds to the? I mean, they weren't big time rappers, right? They were not big time rappers. They were really just trying to, you know, make it, right? But at the end of the day, I think that, and unfortunately, in a way, like three Michigan rappers sounds a little bit like sexier, right? Like in the news than it, you know, three, you know, so. Three um, grocery clerks. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, I think that's part of it. And again, like I think what 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 else is I think the public is recognizing like, yeah, it is very rare for three adults to go missing. I mean, I actually I don't even remember like I don't think I've ever covered something like that. And when I spoke to the Warren police commissioner he had said in his over 50 year career in law enforcement he does not remember a case like this so it is very rare and i think that even like the public is recognizing but i think you know with the headlines saying rapper and whatnot i i think obviously like like i said it's a little it sounds it does have a little cachet and and it is unusual for people to be missing that long you get and i'm sure you get them too andrea these these uh updates every day from Detroit police saying so-and-so is missing, be on the lookout. And it's usually teenagers, and sometimes it's people who are a little older. But then within a day or so, it's like, we found them. Don't worry about it. And these these guys, and plus, 
you know, in the pre-cell phone era, when I was 25 or 27, my mom wouldn't know where I was for weeks. So, I mean, that wasn't that unusual, but the fact that there was no trace of them whatsoever and then then to end up uh, end up like this is is uh, it's pretty extraordinary. So hopefully we'll get a resolution of this. You're you're staying on this story. This is one of the ones you're watching pretty closely. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's very interesting. Um, and and you have been diverted though to help out with uh, with coverage of the uh, the Michigan State shootings. How has that been? How has that been for you? Because I know reporters can experience a lot of trauma when they have to cover events like this that are so raw and when you're dealing with people whose emotions are, you know, just overwhelming. Yeah, I think that's on point. Um, especially, you know, in this beat, like criminal justice, you I like see unfortunately like pain and horror and grieving and loss every day almost. So it can be a lot and especially, you know, and I think like mass shootings is like comp that times a million sometimes because it's, you know, the whole country's feeling it and it just kind of that sentiment, like, when will this end? You know, I don't think anytime soon. So um, that was pretty emotional. Um, it's, unf- um, you know, I think as a reporter, it's always kind of. Hard to approach people who had just lost someone. Um, I've obviously I've done it so many times, but. In this instance, it was very, like, just very difficult just thinking about parents. You know, their kids are just at college, and then, you know, they hear of this mass shooting. They're probably terrified, and then, oh, that's their kid. And, and you know, because there's so many mass shootings, especially at schools, they're probably thinking, like, oh, I never thought that that would be my kid, and then it is. So, Did you have to talk to family members? Yeah, uh, so Brian, I, yeah, I, you know, kind of specifically stuck on one, vic- you know, we kind of split up the, you yeah. know, colleagues. So my task was to, you know, try to get in touch with um, victim, you know, 20-year-old Brian Frazier. He's from Gross Point, went to Gross Point, I think north or south. South, 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 yeah. south yes. Uh, Gross Point South and tremendous athlete, um, you know, really into his church community as well. And he was a leader. He was, uh, the president of his fraternity at MSU and, um, yeah, just a sophomore studying business. Right. And I think he was killed in the union at Michigan state. And I, you know, saw his, I went to their house and I saw the, his father. And like the first thing I noticed was like how much he looks like Brian looks like his dad, except his dad had darker hair like that was like number one like wow like kind of hit me and that made me really emotional and then uh just like seeing like his eyes were beat red you know sometimes like you don't know if you have the right house but like I saw his saw his face he looked like Brian saw his eyes and I was like yeah like wow this is a man who has has looked into hell yeah his eyes were like very red and that was like extremely emotional and I kind of felt like an asshole at that moment too like if I'm gonna be real you know as a journalist job, you want to make sure that we're giving the opportunity so they're, you know, like, so their loved ones are not just seen as a victim. And so, you know, we also want to create change. And so to end these types of tragedy, we need to put, like, human faces on it and, like, show people that, you know, these aren't just, you know, uh, Brian, this is not just Brian Fraser. This is someone's son. This is someone's, lo- like, brother. This is someone's loved one, and et cetera. So, but still, it kind of, 
it's it's really uncomfortable as a journalist too. And, Very. But um, you know, he didn't want to talk, which is completely understandable. It was not going to pressure him at all. So I get to my car, and his sister comes out, and she wants to send me photos, um, of him because I think that some people were using like social media photos, and they're like, no, we want like a really and th- right. what they were sending was like a senior year, like senior photo. Which again is emotional, just thinking about how young he is as well. And it, during her interaction, there was one point where she was like, "Oh yeah, do you have a sibling?" And I'm like, "Yeah, like I have an older brother." And she said, "Tell tell him you love him." And we both just start crying and hugging, and that was also really emotional. And you know, I just gave her my number. I just said, "Like, listen, you know, I don't want to pressure you, but if you do, if you are, if you, if and when you're ready." You know, I'm here to tell his story. And, you know, they were, I went to a prayer service for him. I think it was the next day at St. Catholic's on, or St. Paul's on the church, Catholic church. Yeah, St. Paul's Paul's on on the the lake. lake. Sorry, yeah, yeah, I can't even speak right now. No, no, that's okay. Uh, This is, this is, this is traumatizing for reporters as well, which, you know, it's, it's part of our job. So I'm not asking anybody to, to feel sorry for us, but. I, I read what you wrote about that exchange with his sister, who I assume is his younger sister. I think older, actually. Older? Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, then uh, I guess I'd be a little thankful for that because maybe maybe she's better prepared for trauma, even though who could be prepared for something like this? But you have siblings. You know, you're not that far removed from college. I'm 55, and I don't feel that far removed from college. And I'm I'm grateful just in terms of being... Uh, someone who represents the free press, that someone with your your sensitivity and your ability was sent on that assignment where you could deal with people on a very human level and could hopefully provide them with some comfort because I think people think that, you know, the microphone gets stuck in somebody's face, how are you feeling right now? And I haven't done that. And I've, I've uh, you know, when I teach journalism, I, I tell my students, we're not here to ask questions like that. The answer is obvious. We're here to ask people about the person who's gone. And the fact that they came out and they brought photos to you shows that they understand that this is an opportunity for the world to know about someone they love and that they should see him the way that they want people to see him and not doing a keg stand on social media or some blurry picture mm-hmm. that somebody posted and I think a lot of people want to get mad at the media at moments like this, and, and you're certainly entitled to for your $0.33 cents a month subscription, but we do provide a service where we give people an opportunity to talk about folks who aren't with us, to share their feelings, to be heard on an important issue, and to make sure that when people see that person, that they see them the way they wish they would be seen, and that's with... Uh, an appropriate photo, something that that brings them some dignity, something that that shows some of who they really are, because you can see a lot in photos just by looking at the eyes. If you have ever developed uh, your own pictures, which I know we don't do anymore, you gonna start talking about Leica cameras now? No, no. I was, I'm sorry. I was trying to get to something serious, Sean, but but I'll try and be brief. Um, no, I just can I just but, say something real quickly? No, no. Let me just finish. Okay. Let me just finish. When you when you are focusing. Uh, your your print, you you focus from the eyes because that's the first thing that you can really see that comes clear. And you knew from the father's eyes what he was going through. And so when you have a picture of somebody that can convey that emotion, that's really 
important. And now I'm going to cede the rest of my time to the gentleman from Washington. County. I just want to, this is a testament to you, Andre, right? So you're, you're the vibe and the, um, the presence you had on that doorstep is partly why that sister came out, right? Cause you were aware of what you were doing and the uncomfortable nature. I mean, Mike, I assume you used to do that kind of stuff. I did that a lot of that. I used to do that all the time and it's, and it never gets comfortable. But that's a huge credit to you. And then to put that detail in of the exchange, which I'm really glad you did, because when Mike and I were younger reporters, we didn't always, you know, that would be seen as not uh, objective enough somehow or whatever. And it's ridiculous. And uh, I don't know about that, but maybe where you worked. Yeah. Well, in any case, that was a great detail, though. Thanks. And a great exchange. It was, it was it, a very telling moment. Absolutely. Very powerful. Uh, absolutely. And so, yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, like you're saying, yeah, it doesn't get easier. I think actually, like I said, I've done this so many times, but I, I think it actually gets harder. <laughs> I, I agree. You just become more and more aware um, as you, you know, do this job. And but I think I've there's so many times I'm so surprised every time I do it by how many times people want to be heard at the end of the day. Like it's more times than not that people do talk to me than don't. So in this case, you know, even I tried to reach out to friends of Brian's and honestly, like they're just not ready. So that's fine. I'm not, I'm never going to push someone, but that doesn't actually happen often. Like, yeah, it happens, but you, you just be so surprised at how many times people actually do want to talk. And I think that's why we do it at the end of the day, because we know that. And I think just giving someone the opportunity without being like pushy, or disrespectful and, and just being kind and considerate, I think that goes a long way. Well, and it can be part of the healing process because there are people who do want to help, and sometimes the only thing they really can do that helps is to talk. Exactly. And, and to share an anecdote and to help bring a greater awareness because I think the more we know about these three lives that were ended and then the five that are going to be changed just because – they were shot, you know, I mean, it's, I mean, physically their lives have been changed emotionally, you know, that's a whole nother story, but the more we know about them and who they are, I think the more we're going to be outraged and we're going to be able to muster the, uh, the energy that we need to do something about this. And, uh, and it's, you know, we, we, we that's a whole nother subject we can talk about another time. But for folks who are just losing their minds saying we have to enforce the laws that we have and that and that if he'd been charged with everything that they could have charged him with and prosecuted him the first time he encountered cops, I, I just want to tell you, folks, as someone who's covered cops off and on for 30 years, people with a clean record who are charged with a felony when they're arrested are almost never convicted of that felony. That's just not how the system works. So if you're troubled by what happened... If you want to see something done to help make this less common, we're going to have to come up with something better than let's just enforce the laws that we've got because the fact of the matter is the laws that we got aren't good enough. And there are other places where people, and there are people in Michigan who want to do this too, where they want to have no cause concealed. Well, you don't have to have a permit. You don't have to have nothing. That ain't going to fix it either, folks. A classroom full of students on a Monday night throwing shots at some joker who comes through the door. Let me tell you something. The body count would have been to the roof. But uh, but that's, again, we, we can get into that another time. We do have Kaylee's joined us, so we want to we wanna get to her in just a minute. But, uh, but Andrea, thanks for coming on. Thanks for 
for telling us a fascinating tale about these rappers who disappeared. Hopefully we'll, we'll get a resolution to that soon. And, and thanks for telling us about, you know, how you approached a very sensitive subject. And thanks for, thanks for doing it. Like, uh, I'm tempted to say like a professional, but I really mean like a human, uh, because that's part of what being a professional is, is just being an authentic, real live and breathe in person. Yeah. So, I couldn't agree more. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So that's Andrea Sahori, our colleague at the Detroit Free Press. You'll see her byline there. We encourage you to look for her work. Um, you can look for my work if uh, if you got some time left and you stumble across Sean's work. We apologize in advance for that. But we are selling subscriptions for 33 cents a month. It's 99 cents for three months. I think it's 12 bucks for a year or something like that. It's, that's pretty tough to beat. But, uh, but please support... Please support uh, our journalism because it allows us to have reporters who can tell stories like this and to get to the bottom of things. And as you can tell, Andrew's a real addition to the free press. It's going to help us. Well, I think we're going to earn that 33 cents. Don't you think, Sean? You think so? I, I, I just said I did, and I gave you an opportunity to weigh in. No, no, no. I just was shocked at the opportunity. I didn't know what to do with it. So, yeah. Apparently. Um, so now let's go to somebody who knows exactly what to do. With an opportunity, our NIL-sponsored athlete, a uh, outstanding high school journalism student at Lake Orion, now a fantastic communicator and uh, and um, and uh, I would say five-tool player at Michigan State. Uh, Callie, thanks for thanks for coming on. I know I know we got you by Zoom because you just got out of class, but you had an opportunity to share your thoughts about what happened on Monday in the free press. And uh, if anybody could have said it better, I haven't met him yet. That was just a tremendous job. Thank you. I worked really hard on it. It was definitely a very hard piece to write. I didn't really know if it was the best thing to do at the time, but I'm glad that I got my thoughts down on paper and could just, you know, it was a little therapeutic at the end of the day. Well, Tell me a little bit about what you were thinking when when we reached out and said, "Hey, do you want to do you want to say something about this?" Because I know there are a lot of people who have been going to campus, who've been going to memorial services. Uh, you guys started class again on Monday, and there are other people who are just like, "I'm not ready. I, I this is too raw. I can't. I can't. Um, I can't face this yet." Well. I know a lot of people are really upset with the media right now because it kind of feels like our school's big photo shoot for people. And for a, a lot of us, it's like hitting really close to home. We've had friends that were stuck on campus. Our friends are hurt. Like there's just a lot going on here. And the only reason that I wanted to say something is because I am a journalist and I've been doing this for so long and I wanted someone to say something and I didn't I knew it was going to be hard for some of my classmates even like my roommates or my friends like a lot of my friends still haven't on campus yet because they're just too scared of it all so I knew that it was something that it's my job I've been covering the shooting since it happened I've been I knew it was something that I needed to like do so af after you left uh, your class, you went home, didn't know what was going on, went to Target, found out what was going on, got those three words that too many kids are getting and too many parents are seeing, run, fight, hide, 
And you wrote, when we left the store, campus was closed off as police searched for the attacker. We couldn't get back home. I am so blessed that we were able to escape to a family friend's house in Waverly, Michigan, a 20-minute drive that felt like hours. My friends, my Michigan State family, were stuck on campus, barricading themselves in study rooms, worrying they would be next. When we got home on Tuesday, I locked myself in my living room with some of the people I loved the most. We simply sat in silence. We tried watching movies to calm our nerves, but every time someone walked past the window, we jumped. My friend would ask if I was okay, and I nodded because words seemed too hard. I didn't believe I was okay, but I didn't know how to feel. I mean, that's that's a, a powerful testimony, and that's just a sample of this heartfelt, this raw, and this outstanding account of what it was like to be at a place where you thought you were safe. Um, class came on Monday, and I know that you were wondering whether you would be ready to go back to class. What was that like, and, and how do you feel now? So one of my classes did get moved to Zoom, and we did nothing in class. It was 15 minutes long, and my professor just came on to say, like, we're not having any assignments due this week. We're just going to meet, talk a little bit about what's been going on. We decided that we're going to go back in person next week for that class. We're doing like a Zoom meeting on Wednesday, and it's going to be a tiny little lecture. Um, and then my second class on Monday, the one that I was in, um, was supposed to be in when the shooting happened. I ended up not going to. I have a group chat with like, 12 people in that class and not a single one of them said they were going and there was no way I was going to be able to walk back in that classroom and sit through a three-hour lecture about journalism law with no support system so no one went to class on Monday and then today was the first time I went back on campus in a building and it was really nice uh L.A. Dickerson is my professor. She brought us all breakfast. We just sat and we watched a movie. So we're, I'm just easing myself back into it because it is really scary. My A couple of my friends still haven't been able to make it back on campus yet because it's just too raw and too hard to do that right now. Yeah, Kayla, my son, um, who's a student up there, went back Sunday night and then was on Zoom yesterday, and he was supposed to go to a practice at the Breslin Center yesterday and just couldn't couldn't bring himself to do it. And um I know his roommates had similar issues. So I, I'm I'm hearing the same thing. I I'm curious um how long that took you to write because I know I wrote something for the free press. They asked me to about as as a parent and kind of combining it with what Tom is O and he went through with his son and my son and my son's roommate and my brother has a daughter up there who's a sophomore, and um, and I'll tell you, Kaylee, it, it took me a few days to figure out what to do, and then just as I was writing, and this, you know, I'm a professional writer. It doesn't mean I'm a good writer, but I get paid to write. You are paid. Maybe that's good or bad, but in any case, when I was, this rarely happens, but when I was done writing, my, my hands were uh, shaky, to be to be honest. And, um, yeah, I was, I'm curious if you felt similarly. Yeah, I was up for about 40, 45 hours straight just trying to get the words right and trying to figure out 
I didn't want to offend anyone. I didn't want people to think I was looking for attention. I, it was really more so just, this is what I experienced. And if someone else is experiencing similar feelings, I want them to know that it's okay and it's valid. And so I was just constantly writing and rewriting and writing and rewriting and just trying to make it perfect. I think I was up to like seven in the morning before I finally sent it in. And then I tried to fall asleep and just like take a nap and I couldn't do it. And I was just writing and writing and writing. Um, But it took me probably like, well, I don't know, like 12 or 13 hours just writing to get that out. And I mean, I was taking breaks and like walking away. I had my roommates like read it because I didn't want anyone. I didn't want to upset anyone, basically. And it was just really hard to like, especially so soon after everything happened, it was just hard to like get everything on that on in that column that I wanted to say. How did you feel when it ran and, um, and you saw it? Um, it was very surreal. Cause as like a student journalist, my dream is to get something published by like a notable newspaper. And like, it was a very exciting moment for me, but it was also a very sad moment. Because I never wanted to write about a school shooting, especially one that me and my friends were a part of. And I don't know. I'm still very like, did I do the right thing by writing this? I hope some people are finding some clarity in everything when they read my column. But I'm still just very on edge about everything. I just want to please everyone and I have to know like I can't please everyone I don't know if you guys read some of the comments on the free press but some of them weren't the nicest some of them were great and it's just a little bit hard for me to comprehend like that some people aren't happy with what I wrote so I I I probably should have said this to you before but uh, I never read the comments I, I, I don't either I understand why you did though right well, so I don't read them anymore because I used to read them. So, so Callie's having that experience right now. But, you know, if you've listened to this show before, you've heard Callie on the air, and you know that she's a bright, confident person. Uh, she didn't come to the free press with this column. The free press came to her because talent doesn't need to invite people to the table. The table comes to the talent, and, and that's what we did in asking her to share her thoughts. But you can hear in her her voice that that there's some uncertainty there and and I thought one of the things that about about this column that was so powerful is it was just a testimony she didn't she didn't make a call to action which I think would have been fine if she wanted to but this was written to be as as unoffensive to every position on the political compass on this topic it was really just meant to say this is what I went through and I'm sharing this. It was, and this it, is what my fellow students are going through. It, it was, oh, right. it was somebody who was feeling very vulnerable, making themselves even more vulnerable by sharing some genuine, authentic feelings. And I, I didn't look at the comments. Uh, like I said, I don't look at the comments. But anybody who had a comment that that didn't acknowledge that, for what it's worth, although I think you already know this. They can go straight to hell, and they're not worth your time, and you shouldn't think about them. And if we run across them, they'll get a little, Sean's going to get mad now, a little Michigan Tunnel action. What was, uh, 
what what was the gist of some of the comment uh, some of the comments that were that had an issue Kaylee there were some that were saying that I was being very attention seeking by writing this there were a couple that said I should get over it because I don't even know what the women in Ukraine are feeling right now um a lot of people were making comments about political stuff and that was the last thing I wanted was this to be political I wanted to just share my thoughts and my feelings and I don't know there was one woman who said I'm basically saying give guns to kindergartners I was like I didn't say any of this like I don't know where you're pulling this from it was just like a little hectic but the comments that I did receive like from my friends and my family and even some just random students on campus um have reached out to me and said that it really helped them. And it was good to know that someone else was feeling the same way they were feeling. One of the girls who was in my sorority sent me a text and said that she was in, um, I forget what building, but she was like right next to um, the union. And she said that she felt guilty. And I, that was one of the things I wrote in the column is like, I felt really guilty and that I couldn't do anything to help. And she said that she felt the same way. And those comments were like, made me feel really good about what I did because I knew I was doing something right by writing this. Good. But Folk. the people who were being rude can like eat a dick. I that, don't know. That's their, that's their, it's, th that's them, right? It's their own fear, their own insecurity, their own uh, projection. It's nothing to do with you or what you wrote. If it makes you feel any better. I, I wrote a piece last week and uh, about my son and Tom Izzo and his son and um, and other other folks, uh, sons and daughters, and got a lot of the same stuff. You know, people want to know. I had a, an email. Uh, these are not necessarily comments. I don't look at the comments. These are emails to my inbox. But somebody said, it's not about Tom Izzo. It's not about you, right? So I understand that. Somebody didn't like that the me was in the headline. Some, and I didn't really get into the gun angle one way or the other, but I had people that were upset that I didn't go hard enough with guns. So, yeah, it, it's just it's part of it, Kaylee. Is in, unfortunately, it's just it's just people are going to have opinions, and you're, um, you're never going to be able to make everybody happy, and, everybody, and nobody's, everybody's not going to agree with you. I know you know that intellectually, but now maybe you've felt that viscerally a little bit going through this experience and I am I'm glad uh, I hate that people were rude to you but on the other hand it that will get easier I, I, I can tell you yeah. that and the best thing to do is not look at the comments but eventually you're people are going to get you through Twitter or email or whatever but it'll get easier and, and you'll start to realize that there are folks that are um, it's their own shit it's it's not yours and there are always going to be people like you said that are reaching out saying thank you thank you and um, and that's what you need to focus on. Well, there's only one person who should feel guilty, and he's on a slab at the Ingham County morgue. And uh, anybody else, I don't know what anybody else could have done differently. There's a lot of survivor's guilt up there, though, right, Kaylee? You know? Yeah. A lot of people, like, one of my really good friends, she was trapped in the library when this all happened. And she doesn't even step foot in the library anymore like a lot of us are just thinking like why would did it have to be them like why couldn't it have been me like it's just a big I want to I my biggest goal in life is to help every person that I can and the fact that I know there was nothing I could have done to help out these people is what really hurts and a lot of my friends are really hurting right now and all I want to do is help them but a lot of them are just 
locking themselves in their rooms and not doing anything. And I was like, just let me help. And people really don't want it right now. It's just rough. Like this place is I've never seen Michigan State like this. This is I've been coming here since I was two years old. And just to see campus in the way it is right now, it's like really scary. Yeah, I, I was up there on Friday. I normally teach on Fridays, and I'm very curious to see if anybody's going to show up on Friday. And I've been sending messages to my students. They don't really send messages back. They, they're announcements, and so, you know, they, they get posted to our, our class computer system or whatever, this thing we use. But uh, I was up there on Friday, and I just went by the rock, and I, w- I was just there by myself for a little while, and I was... I was surprised at how overcome I was. And I've covered a lot of tragedy, a lot of horrible things. And it was, uh, it was, uh, it was overwhelming and other people would kind of drift by and no one talked, nobody said anything. And there were people who brought their children and they brought flowers. And I, I thought it was very nice that they brought their children. I also worried that those kids may grow up to say, well, this is, this is the way the world is, is that, that people get killed and then we come and leave flowers. So it won't be as shocking to them. I I don't know that that's, what's going to happen, but you saw people of all from all different groups, young, old with their children, without their children going to the rock. Uh, There's flowers at Berkey hall where the shooting happened. And, and Sparty obviously is, is a, is a, a hub of activity and, and Spartan pride. And there were a lot of people there and I posted some of what, what people wrote and stuck on the base of Sparty. And I will tell you that, um, that this is a, a difficult time for all Spartans, but to see what some of our, our, our fellow Spartans have written from, from Cali to kids who are anonymous. Um, there's, there's a lot, of 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 uh, our fellow Spartans who we can be really proud of who have a lot to say who are showing the kind of depth and the kind of character that uh, will carry us through this but um, but yeah it is a very uncertain and difficult time and and we uh, really appreciate you sharing those words again we came to her she did not come to us she wasn't looking for a platform she was gracious enough to provide us with her insights. Um, uh, I think you're helping a lot of people, and I hope you know that. And um, and the other ones, you can send them our way because we know what to do with them. It was a very thoughtful and um, and uh, compelling and and uh, I thought kind piece. And uh, you can tell, Kayla, that you put a lot of uh, um, consideration into it. It it, it read that way. And uh, that's a testament to you. That should also be don't noted. Don't let the assholes uh, stop you from doing yeah, that, what you love to do. I I don't think that that story had much, if any, editing. I mean, that's your that's is this is pro this is this is raw, uncut talent from somebody who is incredibly intelligent, incredibly deep, speaking from the heart. I mean, if if every one of our colleagues. Short declarative sentences. Could write like that. These are short declarative sentences. No, no, no. I mean what Kaylee wrote. That's what you're going for. Yeah, no, no. That's, but, I'm not always okay. Uh, okay. very good at that, but no. But yeah, no that I was mean, part of the power of the piece. That's great. It's really good. So so thanks, Callie. We, um, 
we're gonna we're gonna head to our geek of the week if you want to stick around. But uh, but we really appreciate the time you've given us, and hopefully, this will get a little bit easier, a little bit every day. I'm sure there'll be some setbacks, but uh, but I know that uh, that you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna get through this, and you're gonna bring a lot of people through it too. Yeah, we're getting there. Campus is getting a little bit easier to go to every day. So I'm just hoping we'll get back to normal at some point. And that's all I can ask. You will at some point. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for talking about what you write, wrote and thanks for writing what you wrote, Callie. It's good to hear yeah, your voice. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, we're looking forward to having you in studio to talk about something completely different. Rowing, hopefully. Where the only controversy will be me and Sean on something that's completely and utterly total idiots. meaningless. Yeah. This is that's normal. <laughs> so that's being, what we want. Being to get foolish back. idiots. Yeah. So we're gonna have a link to to Callie's story on our website, which is mlsoulofdetroit.com. Please check it out. Um, you definitely you definitely need to read this. And, um, and Joe, I think it's, it's time to lighten things up a little bit with our Geek of the Week. Oh, man, the geeks have inherited the earth. Did I do that? What a dork. Does him wanting to play with us again mean that he's turning into a geek? Or we're turning into cool guys? So this kind of tells you a little something about the state of affairs and the good U.S. of A. these days, where we're lightening things up by talking about the January 6th insurrection. So I I guess it's only a little lighter, but uh, but Daniel Rodriguez of Fontana, California, used a stun gun to attack Metropolitan Police Officer Michael Fanone, who was seriously injured. Uh, he had a heart attack, and uh, Mr. Rodriguez helped drag him into a crowd where people were beating him, where he was begging for his life, where he was appealing to these lunatics saying that I have children, I have a family. And, uh, and he was beaten badly to the point where he's no longer a police officer. Well, um, Mr. Rodriguez in, uh, in pleading guilty to criminal charges said that at the time he thought he was doing the right thing. He thought he was doing what he had to do to save his country. And at the same time, he's finally acknowledging they was wrong. Like all these tough guys, he's on the, He's standing in court crying like a bitch, saying that he was stupid and that he's ashamed. And unfortunately, if that kind of clear-headed thinking had been there on January 5th, Michael Fanone would not have gone through what he went through. We'd have a few more police officers still with us. And I don't just mean alive. I mean still serving as police officers because this was so traumatizing. Many of them decided this was no longer the right profession for them. So David Rodriguez facing seven to ten years in prison. I hope you get every day of those ten years. But for now, we're just going to have to sentence you to be our Geek of the Week. So for Black History Month, we're trying to highlight some bands that are prominently featuring black musicians, black lead singers, 
in the case of Big Audio Dynamite, which I think we're going to play before the end of the month, producers like Don Letts, who was such a genius with sampling things for those great Big Audio Dynamite hits. But today we wanted to play Bad Brains, which is a band that is made up entirely of black members. It was actually a, it started as kind of a jazz fusion group, if you can believe that, and moved into hardcore punk. But the band evolved, and as bands often do, it had different moments, different moods. And there was a period where they kind of had a little bit of a new wave flavor. So we are very happy to bring to you the Bad Brains with Sacred Love. Be 
So that was the Bad Brains with Sacred Love. If it sounds like he's got kind of an Al Jorgensen ministry thing with the vocals where he's like he's trying to sound a little a little out there, it's because some of those vocals were recorded over the phone while he was in a detention center. Huh. I uh, That's interesting. I didn't really hear it, though. I had to take my headphones off. You were you had uh, some sacred love that you were attending to. Well, it's just a quiet some, protest. Some self-care? A quiet protest. You don't like the bad brains? No, they're, yeah, no. They're, I mean, bad brains in general. I know you don't like brains that are not good, but the band, the bad brains. No, 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 no. I, they, yeah, the bad brains, uh, I remember liking them in the, when was that, late 80s, early 90s? Yeah, early, late, early to mid 80s. They, they played some iconic clubs on a regular basis, CBGB in New York, which had a lot of new wave acts there and pretty much anybody you can think of, really known as, as a place where the Ramones were probably the house band. The 930 Club in D.C., you ever go to that place? No, I remember them on Austin, though. Yeah, it's a, it's a great kind of gritty club. And and like a lot of these great bands, they have they have players who have cool pseudonyms. Their, their uh, guitar player, I think, is called Dr. No, but it's K-N-O-W. So that's, that's like you cool. knows everything. I'm not a doctor. I'm not saying you're a know-it-all. You're not, but you just you know a lot. You're not a know-it-all. You know a lot. You're a know-a-lot. I, I would say I'm a, I'm a share a lot. Or or maybe I know everything. Probably too much. Well, but you I, don't I, lord I, that over anybody. Started as a compliment. You know? and got kind of no, you don't lord that over anybody. But uh, if uh, you're looking for a more new wave feel from the album Eye Against Eye, which is what Sacred Love is on, there's a tune on there called She's Calling You, that has a little bit more of a uh, of a new wave vibe, and they've covered. There's a Detroit connection, of course. There's always a Detroit connection. They covered the MC5's "Kick Out the Jams" with Henry Rollins, and uh, among the people who have, I mean, countless bands have been influenced them with some predictable ones like Living Color, but but other bands like Rage Against the Machine and and uh, and the Beastie Boys, MCA of the Beastie Boys produced some of their music. So, That's cool. So the Bad Brains. Brought to you here in room 7609. Uh, we will have uh, another super groovy band next month. Uh, I may have foreshadowed that a little bit, but we'll see who is listening closely. And of course, Grooves we'll, in the Heart. Uh, that's Delight. I know. Yeah, but, uh, but well, like I said, I foreshadowed for people who are listening closely. Well, you said groove, yeah. super groovy. So I was thinking of Groove in the Heart. You said MC5, I'm thinking Stooges. I'm seeing on TV there's a dog. So I want to hear I want to be your dog next week. How about that? Yes, uh, for Black History Month, I think Iggy Pop, perhaps the whitest man in the world, is who he should play. No, he had some soul, but that's not the point. He's the point translucent. is, the point is, next week will be will it be March yet or no? It'll still be February. It'll still be February. Okay, still oh, well. February. So we will we will have another great tune for you. And of course, we love to get your suggestions. Please send them to us at mlsoulofdetroit at gmail.com. We have a lot of backlog suggestions. We will be getting to. So please stick with us. And now we want to thank the other people who make this show possible. We, we forgot to tell you a little bit more about our, our good friend, um, Luke Nowacki. If you're facing a big financial decision, such as purchasing a new home, a new car, maybe even something cosmetic, it's important to know how this decision could affect your current and future financial goals. Luke Nowacki and his team at Pinnacle Wealth Strategies can help you plan for all your financial goals both today and into the future. 
Call Luke today at 248-663-4748 for a complimentary consultation to see if your plan aligns with your goals. And I'm going to do it a cappella. Securities and Investment Advisory Services offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc., member FINRSIPC. Royal Alliance Associates, Inc. is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products, or services referenced here are independent of Royal Alliance Associates, Inc. That's easier than I thought it was going to be. You did a great job with that. And we also want to tell you about Hall Financial. They are they are uh, great partners if you're trying to close a deal, if you're trying to refinance your house, if you're trying to come up with the dough to buy your first your first house. Mortgage interest rates are the lowest they've been in over five months, and the majority of Hall Financial clients are locking in rates in the fives. Use the equity in your home to put yourself in a better financial situation. It's the most affordable way to eliminate debt. A free five-minute mortgage review with Hall Financial is all it takes to see how much money you've gained in home equity. The majority of Hall Financial loans close in two weeks or less, meaning you can get your money faster. Whether you're looking to purchase a new home or refinance your current home, you need to call Hall Financial first at 866-CALL-HALL. That's 866-CALL-HALL. Or chat with them online at callhallfirst.com. And you know how the Irish would say that, Sean. Eight double six C A double L H A double L. Nice. Yeah, that's how they do it. That's nice. what they do it over there. And uh, we will have a link to their websites on our website, which is mlsoulofdetroit.com. We encourage you when you do business with someone you hear about on the show to let them know that you know about them because of us. Seems reasonable. Very uh, and, reasonable. And we all want to thank our other sponsors. These are the people who have been kind enough to send us some money to underwrite this show. Of course. Our good friends at The Butchery, great place to go for meats, treats, and eats, sent us a kind donation that said, hey, thanks for that shameless plug back at Thanksgiving. When Mark yelled at you, ML, keep up the good work. Well, Dave, you know I'll, I'll never bow to pressure. So thank you very much. And Anthony sent us a donation that says, I might remind Sean's kids, oh boy, this is going to be a problem, that all guests of Soul of Detroit receive a case of Altus... <laughs> oh boy, he's going to the archives for that. I, I could probably come up with a twelve pack of Altus for uh, for Sean's uh, kid and, and his friend Patrick. Uh, he also says, "I'm glad they're okay. I must have seen six or seven social media posts from friends who knew at least one of the victims. It's sickening, but more enraging to know that presently nobody will do anything to even reduce the likelihood of the next one. So vote, people! Identify the buttholes." that only want thoughts and prayers or take money from gun lobbyists, et cetera, and vote their asses out. That's what Anthony says. Although I have to tell you, I did like uh, like Callie's advice for those folks. Eat a dick. <laughs> now, why can't we get stuff like that on our editorial page? That is... You think so? That's three words that say it all. It did, yeah. yeah. yeah for sure. Uh, Sean, what what have you got uh, for feedback for us? Well, we've got uh, somebody. Uh, can we say his full name? Just his first name. I just use his first name. First name, yeah. Mike. Let's, let's could, call. Could be a nom de. Let's call him too. Mike. Yeah, or a nom be. de plume. It could be okay. Mike. Oh, maybe Michael. I mean, I could call him ML. Little Mickey. But then we're assuming there's an L in there somewhere too. The Mixter. The Mixter. How about that? Yeah, I like sure. the Mixter. Okay, let's go with Mikaruski. Oh, McNasty. Oh, that's even better. McTastic. Mike. McLovin. Mc- Oh, okay, let's get to okay, it. Come on. Go. This is a short one, and we've just made it long. <laughs> Mr. Where's Mark when we need him? Mr. Mike says, uh, we need to make the punishment fit the crime. And Magic Mike. Capitalizes crime. 
We have a lot of gun laws for law-abiding citizens, and the laws that we have for the criminals with guns, they get freaking slaps on the wrist. They don't freak, get any kind of consequences. Quit freaking handling these people that want to kill people with kid gloves. Bring back the freaking death penalty. But we don't want to do that. We just want to make it harder for law-abiding citizens to get their guns. Okay. Yeah. Got nothing wrong Nothing wrong with law-abiding citizens having their guns. Let's just make sure that... Uh that uh, we get them in the right hands and keep them out of the wrong hands. Uh, Alexis says, Dear Mike, not, not the Mike we just heard from. I think she's referring to me. On your last episode, you disclosed your family is in the market for a new vehicle. If you're looking for a cozy cruiser, I highly recommend the 2005 Lincoln Navigator. It really pops in the vivid red metallic color. Warm regards, Kwame. So I guess Alexis is... Uh, is uh, perhaps the correspondence secretary for our, our former mayor. Okay. Uh, we love it when you rate the show. Uh, please listen and uh, give us give us uh, a rating. If it's one, that's fine. I mean, we prefer to get a five, but somewhere in between would be great. You can rate us on pretty much any service that you listen to us on. Um, we did get a five-star rating last week under the headline, Excellent, and this very simple uh, review. Insightful and informative show this week. That was our episode talking to Sean's son, and his roommate about what they experienced on campus less than 24 hours ago, meaning they talked to us less than 24 hours after the shootings on campus. They were great, very poised and impressive young men, and, uh, and their testimony is one that you should all listen to, so we encourage you to check out last week's episode as well. Last piece of feedback, uh, this kind of touches to something that we were talking to Andrea about. It's a little long, so please bear with me, folks, but I think it's important for you to hear. Robin writes, is it okay to think the hysteric coverage of the MSU tragedy and the reaction by largely suburban parents and students is way over the top? And the media is being classist about this after decades of basically ignoring Detroit crime victims. MSU's campus is over eight square miles with over 50,000 adult students and 10,000 employees. For perspective, that's the population of Pontiac. Most were nowhere near the slice of campus at 8 p.m. when the shooting happened, but everyone is a hysteric victim with trauma, anxiety, and PTSD. Mike, you raised your kids in Detroit. I was born and raised in Detroit. Detroit has over 300 homicides a year, plus shootings, rapes, carjackings, overdose deaths, and vehicular fatalities from lawless drivers. Are Detroit teens paralyzed with trauma and pleading for remote school every time there's random violence in their neighborhood? I mean, come on! My teachers would have laughed at me. If the media really cares about victims all of a sudden, are Freep, News, 2, 4, and 7 going to now feature A1 and A block uh, profiles of each and every Detroit homicide victim, family GoFundMe coverage, and devote resources to capturing every... uh, I'm missing a word there. Shoot. Victim. You'll claim the paper doesn't have the resources, but after this week, that's clearly not true. In addition, East Lansing streets were cut off by a deluge of hundreds of officers who descended into town. We should get the same reaction every time there's a shooting in Detroit. Manhunt until each suspect is captured. It'll never happen because nobody really cares about Detroit victims, and there's a comeback narrative to push. Freep pushes the false narrative that actually dangerous Detroit is safe and fun. While the past week, Freep pushes a narrative that perfectly safe, leafy, idyllic MSU campus is a terrifying, ticking time bomb of potential gun violence and requires swift action from lawmakers in Lansing. You're not even allowed to talk about Detroit's nation-leading crime, or you're smeared as unhip and paranoid, at best, or a racist if you're white. 
I'd bet you've personally called people variations of chicken shit and pussies for being wary of Detroit crime. So why traffic this nonsense at perfectly safe MSU is terrifying and safe? And the same allegedly traumatized MSU students won't hesitate to intern in authentically dangerous Detroit, Chicago, and New York this summer. Come on! This is all so performative and fake. There he said it, Chicago. Hypocritical. I was waiting for Chicago. The hypocritical and classist media and hack politicians are fanning this hysteria for what was mere, merely a suicidal loner, which will in turn make parents go nuts and project this crap onto their kids. Of course it's sad, but it doesn't make sense, and it never will. He could have just as easily driven a truck through a campus crosswalk. People need to move on. It's not healthy to act like this. And Freep sincerely ought to dedicate the same resources to each and every poor inner-city victim of random crime. Sorry for rambling. Robin. Whew. Well, Robin, that was very well written. It wasn't rambling. It was very focused. It was very on point, and there's a lot of merit to it. And as someone who has made the choice to raise my family in a place where they would be less safe than they would be just across the street, I hear what you're saying, and I agree with much of what you're saying. What I will push back on, however, is that particularly TV news, channels 2, 4, and 7, they live off of reporting the crime that happens in the city. The flashing red lights and blue lights that you see on every nightly newscast do tend to cover the carnage that we have on our streets. They do a better job than most print organizations at helping you count the bodies as they pile up. We don't have the resources at the Free Press to cover every one of these incidents. The Detroit News does a little better job, but we have people like Andrea who try and step back and put things in context and to try and help crystallize the issue so that maybe we can get behind something. I think the difference is... I knew when I moved to Detroit and when I would hang out in Detroit as a kid that I was in a dangerous place. When we send our kids to college campuses, we tend to think that we're sending them away from that. We tend to think that they're in a safe place. And I know for myself, I often thought, just let my girls get to be 18. Let them grow up to be an adult and I can send them somewhere safer. I just want to get them through their adolescence and they'll go someplace safer and and I always thought that that would be Michigan State. And it turns out that it's just as prone to this sort of thing as other places, which is shocking, which is terrifying. But to dismiss this guy, Anthony McRae, as a suicidal loser... Loner. Loner uh, is a mistake. Uh, he's someone who needed help, who didn't get the help, who didn't need a gun, who got a gun... And he was homicidal before he was suicidal. So let's not forget that. But, Robin, you raise a good point. More kids die in a weekly basis than died on that one night in East Lansing. And we need to be as cognizant of us about that. We need to be as concerned about that. And I will tell you, when I was running for Detroit City Council, it's one of the reasons why one of the main parts of my agenda was more and better cops and opportunity for kids and families so that we can get people into something better. It's why I've been a coach in Detroit. It's why I volunteer a lot and raise a lot of money for good things in Detroit because we've got to stop this senseless violence throughout our country, but we can't forget that there's a problem at home that we have to address. I would, uh, here's what I would add quickly to that. I mean, Robin's right, 
there's more coverage. But it's not classist to me because these mass shootings are all over the country and they happen at all levels. Levels. I mean, there's a shooting at a Walmart. There's a shooting at a movie theater. There's a shooting at churches, uh, a black church, a white church. It, it's it's indiscriminate in that way. So I don't think it's classist at all. The difference is it's human nature. What these mass shootings are are terrorist acts. And acts of terrorism are designed to cause maximum unsettling, maximum terror, right? The word terrorist. And so in Detroit, most of the killings involve people that know each other or they're random uh, holdups that, that get ugly or whatever. So you understand if you're working at a certain place that involves cash, somebody can come in and, and, uh, and hold you up. And, you know, that's dangerous. It's not the same as somebody randomly going to a spot, maybe they had some loose connection that no, the public didn't know about eventually when it comes out later, and just picking people off. There is a psychological difference, and it's massive, and that's why they are covered like this all over the country. It has nothing to do with class. It has everything to do with the terror effect of a shooter in that situation. It's unsettling in a different way. People think, well, I can avoid, whether it's by geography or by choices you make with drug use or any kind of illegal, whatever. You can sort of try to stay away from some of that. But you can't with any of this other stuff. And the percentages, yes, are not the same in terms of the, the number of deaths. But the overall effect of the last 15 years of this, 20 years of this, has put it at this spot. And if you don't think the kids up at Michigan State or anywhere where there's a mass shooting that have been told to barricade which you don't when you come into Detroit. You're not barricaded. You're not pushing stuff in front of your house because somebody's just out there randomly. I mean, you might be fleeing gunfire. You, you hear that. But that's not the same. To sit there and have to hold up for four hours when somebody's on the loose to, to say, just get over that? No. That's not how the, the human brain works. That's easy for you to say, Robin. I appreciate your point, and I understand. We need to be maybe uh, better at covering what's going on in Detroit and other places. In that way. But no, to dismiss that trauma, that's real. It's PTSD. It's classic. It comes out of war. Yeah, so I guess I didn't talk about that point. You know, kids get over it. I, I would agree with Sean on that. I would disagree that I do think there is some classism here. But I'll also tell you, what what concerns me is that the rate we're going in 20 years, these shootings on campuses won't be that big a deal because they'll be as common as these shootings are in the city of Detroit, and we don't think they're that big a deal because we've gotten used to it. That's the new standard. Somebody gets murdered in New Hampshire, big front-page news because it doesn't happen that much. It becomes an extraordinary story because things are different there. Somebody gets murdered in Detroit, sad to say, it's just another It's day. the same with the mass shootings, though. You know, the the Michigan State shooting was out of the national news cycle 12 hours after it happened, 24 hours. After. That wouldn't have happened 10 years ago. So we get used to all of it. I don't think it's classist. If you want to say it's racist because of Detroit or we don't care. Now, Chicago people care about it, but it's for political reasons. Chicago is like a, you know, it's code for something else. But in any case, I, I don't want to get too far down this rabbit hole. But, uh, well, yeah. We need to we need to get out of here shortly so that Drew and Mike uh, can take over. Thanks, Robin. Very thoughtful note. A lot to talk about, and we'll keep talking about these issues. We hope that you'll stick with us, regardless of your point on the political compass, because I think we need to hear each other. And if we kind of come together, maybe we will move forward together. Um, briefly, I was at the Republican State Convention on uh, 
on uh, on Friday night and on Saturday, and the Republican Party chose an election denier who raised no money whatsoever for her campaign, or I should say no significant amount of money, and she's now in charge of bringing Republicans together, raising a ton of money, but most of the convention was about how we don't trust other Republicans. It was a truly extraordinary scene. It was an amazing uh, thing to witness. Uh, Please don't mistake that I'm saying that people who were there were nuts. There was a meeting the night before at a bar called the Nut House, and it was Mike Lindell, the my pillow guy who maybe is nuts, was there. Uh, Carrie Lake, who thinks that she was elected governor of Arizona despite every evidence to the contrary, was supposed to be there and didn't show up. She might be nuts. But there are a lot of very sincere people who want to see the Republican Party get back on track. And I think that what happened there has many of them concerned about where the party's headed. You can read more about that at the Free Press. I'll have a link to my column on our website, mlsolvedetroit.com. And Sean was in Ann Arbor for the Michigan-Michigan State basketball. They wrapped up the selection of the Republican Party chairwoman, Christina Caramo, just before tip-off in Ann Arbor. What was it like to be in that building? I mean, Wolverine fans were wearing green, which is really saying something because that rivalry has become so rancorous. Yeah, it, it wasn't just that they were wearing green. They were wearing maize T-shirts with Michigan basketball supports Michigan State. They were the student section held up a you know ten row by five row uh, banner that said Spartan Strong. the The lighting there was a moment of silence held, and the lighting from the rafters was green, so it kind of pooled out over the arena. It looked Spartan. It was a Spartan green, and the arena was still and quiet. And then the Michigan pep band came in and played Michigan State's Shadows alma mater. Which is um, whatever else you say, it it sort of fit that moment. It's a slower. It's kinda, very somber. Yeah, but also, but also, yeah. There's heart. There's some heart to it too, you know. In any case, um, that was uh, that was lovely. The Michigan State took the court at first. They weren't booed. I don't expect that to last forever. But uh, there was sort of polite applause. It wasn't you know thunderous applause. And then the game itself was played in this. The vibe was just um, like, yeah, we we want to beat each other, but we don't need to. We don't need to kill each other and hate each other. I mean, we can you know root for the other's demise in the field of play because that's what a rivalry is. But um, I'd never felt anything like that before in that rivalry. And then the game was great. Both teams played um, as well the as they it, as well and and it was fun to watch the there was a uh, level of ox- offensive execution we'd only see from these teams um you know it was thrilling in a lot of ways it was they they kind of played their best for stretches their best ball Michigan looked as good as they have in a while I thought state looked really good for Malik Hall in the first half fantastic yeah Second that's the best he'd looked in two months and um he had a little bit more bounce. In any case, so I, I just think that was that those teams rose to that moment, to that environment, and um, it was as uh, as heart heartwarming and uh, compelling a sporting event as I've seen in a while, uh, under the circumstances. Well, the handshake line at the end did did it seem like a typical handshake line, or was there a little different vibe? No, yeah, the, I mean, Jawan Howard and Tom Izzo you know, shared maybe. In, Maybe held on to their handshake a little bit longer than normal, but uh, yeah, there just there was players. no. What were the players like? They were good. Yeah. I mean, they, they they were respectful and just they, Michigan, of course, was happy they won. But yeah, it was uh, it was really something.
Well, you can read Sean's coverage of the game and, and some of the other things he's written about the past week, taking him away from sports, but bringing him into uh, another arena, a little more serious arena. We uh, will make those available at our website. Mark will be back next week. We'll be back next week. I believe we're going to be joined with Detroit Police Chief, former Detroit Police Chief James Craig, to talk about the state of the Republican Party, to talk about his experiences as a black police officer in Detroit and throughout the country, and just to tell us some pretty cool stories about the many things he's seen on a job, one of the toughest jobs anybody's ever asked to do. So until next week, we ask you to check out our website, check out our back episodes, and Sean has... Just wanted to thank Robin again for, for taking the time to write and, yeah, yeah. and, and, her, and her good salient points. We can, sure. we can uh, agree on some and disagree on others, and but thank you for writing. Yeah. No, it was very sincere. It was very respectful. It was very on point. She, and she talked about something that we were debating here before the show with Andrea's. How, when do we start writing about the, the, the deaths elsewhere without making it seem like we're saying we're moving on? That's and a, I think it's coming soon. It's yeah, an important, good point. It's important good question. Point. So, so thanks again to Andrea Sahori for joining us. Watch her work in the free press and, and Kalina Nice, you know, just the greatest kid. We've known her for a long time. And, uh, we hope that she and all her friends and classmates can get back to as close to normal as, as we're going to get anytime soon. And of course we're most appreciative of you listening and giving us your feedback. So please keep it coming. Good or bad. We want to hear it all. And until next week, Cyrus, take us out. Can you dig that? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? I'm a success. Success is nothing without someone you love to share it with. Fame will bring heartbreak and tragedy. But won't stop the pursuit of her dream. ML Elrod is the soul of Detroit.